What kind of a journey can you go on after you've lost all of your children? Ours led us to places we never even would have imagined. Join us on this roller coaster ride that we call life as we talk about our loss of our two children, Jessica and Joshua. Hi everyone. So our thought for today is that we would tell our whole story. We have been living this journey with losing our two children for 23 years. And we, we tell it in mostly up through the accident in the mm -hmm. first year. And then recently in December, we went to forgive David who killed, he's the gentleman who killed our two children. So we have never shared from start to, I don't know if it's finished. Uh, truly it's not finished, but start until present time. Right. So that is what this whole video about is about today. So I hope you have a little time. We hope that you learned something and thanks for watching. So the video or our story starts in July of 1999. We had just moved from uh, West Bend to Middleton area. I was in the financial services business and I was in the process of taking over an insurance agency in the Madison area. So we'd only lived in, in the Middleton for about a month. Uh, I had been doing a lot of traveling that week and uh, I was gone most of the week and I came back and um, I spent the weekend with the kids. Beth left to I was do shopping. some things with her girlfriends mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that when it comes up. And so Beth came back Sunday afternoon, and uh, I knew I was going to be traveling again that week, and I needed to um, get some materials for a fence. We were going to build a fence for a puppy that we got for the kid. We got that for them after we moved so that they'd have a puppy to help them make friends in the area. Mm -hmm. So we jumped in the minivan. Um, I was driving. Uh, Josh was sitting behind me. Jessica was behind Beth. And so we, it was a Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock, and we pulled up to a stoplight. I was the second or third car behind, uh, second or third car in line. And we heard a, as we're waiting at the red light, we heard a siren coming, a police car siren. And so we figured out it was coming uh, towards us and it was going to make a turn you know, to our left. And so we were all waiting and the squad car came through and went and sped away. And the light had changed green in the meantime. So as the squad car sped away, the cars in front of us pulled ahead. And I paused for just a second and looked to make sure nothing else was going on. And I pulled out into the intersection. And the next thing I know is uh, I wake up and somebody's saying, don't move. You've been in an accident. We don't know how bad you're hurt. Well, I'm just holding your neck. So as we go through the intersection, all I hear is a loud noise. It was so loud. I, I didn't, I guess I didn't even realize at the time, but we spun mm -hmm. and I turned around to tell the children or ask them, what was that noise? And as I did, I saw that Josh was already gone. Um, his neck was broken. Um, I could tell because his eyes were open um, and Jessica was half outside the window. Um, I heard Rick moaning. So I knew he was alive. I looked down at myself expecting to be injured or have blood or anything, and um, I was perfectly fine. 
So I instantly got into, I've got to save my family mode. I jump out of the minivan and I right away said, I need a doctor because I needed to help Jessica. Um, right away, a gentleman put his hand on my left shoulder and he said, I'm a doctor and my wife is also a doctor. And we were in the intersection watching this happen, I guess at a stoplight. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what can we do to help? And I said, well, can you get my Jessica out and try to save her? Um, and so they did. They started to um, take care of Jessica. And then I just started walking around the van and apologizing to Josh, just loving him. It is always hard to tell this part of the yeah. story. Um, because it's not a story, it's clearly our lives. Yeah. And we have healed from it, but it is still, it takes me right back there to the intersection. So anyways, I knew jo uh, Josh was gone. I was loving him. I could hear you moaning. Mm -hmm. I saw that there was a, somebody holding your neck, your head. Mm -hmm. um, found out later that it was an off-duty police officer. So I was like, oh my gosh, we need to have a, a helicopter. And I, I was like, we need to to get Jessica to the hospital. Right. So um, I did hear a helicopter overhead, but they did put us in an ambulance. They felt it was going to be still faster. Um, so I rode in the ambulance um, with Jessica. And as I was doing that, I was calling people mm -hmm. to let them know that we're in a car accident. You go right. ahead. So a drunk driver had ran through the red light and was going over 80 miles an hour and became airborne and broadsided our minivan. He hit right behind uh, where I was sitting, right actually right where Josh was sitting. So he hit us and spun us around and we hit into another car. Um, and so they were able to, they got Jessica out, they worked on her, they got her in the ambulance, ambulance, Bethan and Jessica went to the hospital. They finally were able to figure out that I wasn't that severely injured, uh, but they still were taking precautions. They got me out of the car, it took them a little while. Um, and then, you know, they put me in the ambulance and they said, we get in the ambulance and they say, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, what do you mean? Where do I want to go? I want to go where my wife and daughter are. And so it took them a little bit to figure that out. And they took me to the hospital and, and, and in the emergency room, because I wasn't that, um, severely injured, they put me in one of the curtained areas. You know, all of a sudden, next to me, I hear somebody yelling, why, why am I here? Let me go. I didn't do anything wrong. Let me go. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. Well, unbeknownst to everybody, they had put the drunk driver in the room right next to me. Uh, and so as I was laying there, a doctor came in and he said, I'm sorry for your loss. And I said, I know Josh didn't make it. And he said, son of a bitch. And he turned around and walked out. Yeah, that's all you said. So, so we think he was the doctor that was helping Jessica. So he knew I was coming to talk to Rick to say, we asked Rick if it's okay to let Jessica go home, basically. We couldn't save her. So he knew about Jessica. He had no idea about Joshua. Right. So I came into that room and I said, we have to go let Jessica go. Yep. And so we did. She was... Just beautiful you know they had her all wrapped up they did you know manage her head and everything yeah. so we could say our, our goodbyes so we we did that um they 
at some point along the way after that, we were in the hospital for a while yet, um, they told us that uh, Josh had come in. Um, and we said, well, good, we can, you know, we want to go say goodbye to him. And they said, well, you can't. It was a female police officer, and I don't know if that matters or not, but she says to me, you can't touch Joshua. He's evidence. And because of the state that we were in. <laughs> we listened. <Yeah. laughs> we listened. You know, I, I, to this day, I'm like, I still think we should have just said, okay, we won't. We won't. Yeah. But then it would have been like loving him. I mean, who says that? Yeah. So yeah, it broke our hearts. But we just weren't really with it at that point, obviously. And so um, they determined that I could go home that night. So we went home. Mm -hmm. uh, and somehow we were able to sleep for a little bit. We woke up in the morning and um, you said. I said, I can't live my life without my children. Yeah. And so I said to Beth, I said, well, can you make it through the day? And she said, no. I said, well, can you make it through the next hour? And she said, no. Nope. I said, well, how about the next five minutes? And she said, no. <laughs> I didn't even want to be there right then and there. I was like, take me away, you know? Yep. Yeah. I said, well, then let's just breathe. I said, just, we'll just lay here and breathe. Just make it through the next breath. And so we lay there for a while and just breathing. And all of a sudden, Beth says, I, I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And so life has a way of whether you want to or not, pushing you to move forward. And so we began to move forward. Um, we had decided that we would have the funeral back in the town uh, that we had just moved from a month ago. Because the kids were born there. They, they had grown up there. Well, and we knew nobody. Um, and we knew basically nobody, nobody where we were. So yeah. so we, we did that. We were going to do that. And so the accident happened on a Sunday. And on Wednesday, we went to talk to the funeral director. And so we, we went into the funeral home because we had to talk to him about the arrangements for the kids and all that fun stuff you get to take care of. And so we walked into the funeral home and the lights were kind of down. It was dim and dark. It really fit our mood. And um, you know, we were saying, hello, hello, hello. And finally, somebody comes walking up to us and, and she says, can I help you? And I said, well, we're the Olsons and um, Jim is working on our children. And she says, okay, let me go find him. So we're just waiting there, just kind of standing in a daze and just not even really functioning yet. And couldn't even believe that really still we were in shock. Right. So it was like, yeah. couldn't believe it happened. And so Jim comes walking towards us and he's got this big smile on his face. And I'm thinking, you're an idiot. And he says, that Josh, he keeps turning the lights on and off and changing my radio station. Can you tell him to knock it off? And we just looked at him and said, what? Yeah. And he said, that's Josh. He's turning my lights on and off and changing the radio station. I can't get any work done. Can you tell him to knock it off? And so this was our introduction to the whole idea that our kids weren't gone. They were just in a different place. And we had to begin to learn how to understand where they were and how to communicate with them. And this was the start. It gave us a little hope 
gave us that small ray of hope that our kids weren't just dead and, and going to be in the ground, and that was it. Well, it was 1999, and right. a lot of people did tell us they were just dead in yeah. the ground. I mean, they're going to be in the ground, and right. I'm like, just bury me too. So yeah. it was really a nice little bit of hope. Right. Then we're like, what language are you speaking? Right. <laughs> because I need to learn that language. Yeah. And I've often thought about Jim and how he had to come up to talk with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, I mean, yes, he's a funeral director, but that must be the most daunting, right. awful thing ever. And for But for him to come up and change the mood of what was going on, right. wow. Yeah, yeah. Thankful to this day for him introducing us to our children as spirit. Yep. The next day was the funeral. The next day was Thursday was the funeral. And mm -hmm. so I reached out to a friend of mine, Kathy, and she is medium in West Bend. And I'm like, can you see us, please? Mm. I, need to, I need help here. And she, of course, saw us before the funeral. So it was um, Thursday morning. We went and talked mm -hmm. with Kathy for a good hour. And then we stood up to leave. We yeah. didn't have any messages from the kids, but it, it still was nice to talk with Kathy. Right. And as we stood up to leave, all of a sudden she said, wait, wait, the kids are here. And, and so we sat back down mm -hmm. and then we just waited, you know, and all of a sudden, and she kept looking up to the upper left side of the room. And then she's like, wait, wait, no, just Jessica's here. Josh is not here. Right. And she's like, because Josh is at Great America theme park. <laughs> She goes, there's no lines in the spirit world. And yeah. we laughed. We were like, oh my gosh, that's exactly where Josh would be. Right. He loved Great America. So as, she, as we sat there listening to her, she kept looking up and she's like, did Jessica like fried chicken? And I'm like, I've never made fried chicken. Never. Um, and she goes, well, she wants the chicken in the basket. And so we both looked at each other. We're like, okay, that makes no sense at all. And so we went over like chicken and the biscuit crackers. I'm like, I've never bought chicken and the biscuit crackers. But then it dawned on me. Now we're going to go back to that weekend, mm -hmm. that weekend that I was shopping and Rick was with the kids. I was at an American girl sale and I was buying all sorts of things. And it's a sale. It's cheap. I was like, and American girls is pretty expensive. Now, American Girl dolls are heritage dolls. They are grouped in years. So you could have like the 1950 doll from the 50s. You could have the 1800s doll. And they always had books. They mm -hmm. told stories about these young girls. And they had um, outfits and mm -hmm. also accessories. So that's what I was doing that weekend with my girlfriend, Jean. And we were buying, I, I bought a lot of stuff. I think I came home with $400, which to me was a lot of money back then. And um, so... When I brought all of the stuff into the house, now Jessica was closing her eyes because her birthday was coming up and Christmas was coming. She didn't want to know what I bought her. So Josh was being my big helper and he was bringing everything in. And as I was making piles, I got to this little chicken in a basket. And I said to Joshua, I'm like, do you think Jessica would like this little chicken in a basket? Because I bought it for your cousin and I but I think Jessica would like it. I think it was like $3. So it was like, okay. So Josh says, yeah, mom, I think she'd like that yeah. chicken in the basket. So it went in Jessica's pile. Now you got to remember, oh, then an hour later, they're gone. They're, they're gone. Yeah. They're dead. So let's go back to Thursday morning. Now I cat these. I, this dawned on me. A lot had happened. I mean, my brain was certainly in shock. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had to tell Kathy and I had to tell Rick yeah. all about the chicken in the basket, the whole thing that I bought. And 
we were just crying. We were just so elated that they were definitely alive. Yeah. I mean, it's a chicken in a basket. I mean, come on. So we finished talking pretty right. much and we were getting ready to leave. And then Kathy says, there is one more surprise for you. The kids have one more surprise. She said, there's one more surprise for you in the car. So, you know, we were excited. We got out to the car. We jumped in the car and we're sitting there and we're just kind of looking around and, you know, nothing's happening. So we're just kind of getting a little dejected. And I started up the car and a song came on the radio. And at the times of the, when the kids passed, their favorite movie was an animated movie from Tarzan. Disney. And it was Tarzan, the animated version. And one of the songs from that movie came on, and the song that came on was Two Worlds, One Family. Yeah. And so that was the song that they, the gift they gave us in the car was having that song come on. And so we were just happy. We were crying and just we enjoying were elated. it. Yeah. We were like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Two worlds, or two families. Two, two worlds, worlds one, one family. family. Yeah. So we were so happy. Yeah. We decided to finally go and eat and right. actually eat something that we wanted to. So we went to Hardee's and we <laughs> sat in Hardee's and we were like, you know what? Let's just keep this little chicken in the basket and the song to ourselves because yeah. this is something that people are going to poo-poo. They're going to be like, oh, I don't believe it. And so, so we decided it's our family. Let's keep it as right. our family. So yep. we, um, we left Hardee's and went to the funeral. Went to the funeral. And yeah. as we walked in, it was awful. Yeah, our families were already there. I mean, you know, obviously we got we got there before all the rest of the public came, and and they were just devastated, you know, as as we were. Yeah. And but we decided to share. Yeah, we decided to give them a little bit of hope. Um, you know, it it we were just like this beautiful family and a senseless drunk driver yeah. just killed our children. So as we told the, our family about the chicken in the basket, you know, they smiled, you know, there's all, it's not like it took it all away, you know, but there were some scratches on their heads, like, Oh my gosh, it made them think about it. Yeah. And it made them realize that maybe they are still alive. They're mm -hmm. not going to be buried in the ground, you know, so it gave people a little bit of hope. So then we went to stand in the line and, you know, receive all of the yeah. visitors and all the condolences and the hugs. And, you know, sometimes people were crying and I felt like I was consoling them, yeah. you know, and some people would say, don't get divorced. 95% of the people get divorced. And I'm like, oh my God, I never even thought of that. You know, so yeah, it was interesting. But through all of it, we got a lot of love. There was hundreds and hundreds of people there, and we were, we were so blessed with that. But all of a sudden, I noticed my father was sharing our story with other people. Mm -hmm. I could see it, and I was like, it kind of, I was a little upset because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to get bigger yeah. and more. There might be more doubters, you know? And so then it dawned on me, and I hit you. I was like, Whoa. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this chicken of the basket isn't just for us. It's for the world. This yeah. is proof there's life after death. So we were like, I said, we're going to write a book someday. Yeah. It did take us 15 years to write yeah. a book, but we did. We did. It's called We Never Left You. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we made it through the funeral. Um, and, you know, one little... We often joke about we should write a second book about dumb things that people tell you at a funeral because yeah. it was just amazing that some of the things people say, 
because unfortunately we don't handle death very well. We being our society doesn't handle death very well and people are get awkward and they just don't know what to say and they say stupid things and so Yeah. Well they wanna give you that like whoa yeah. moment that's gonna like save you. Yeah. Like, you know, quite honestly, there is no nothing that's no. aha to save anybody. And plus right. you don't even remember. No. You don't even remember who was there sometimes and or what was said. Right. You know, people would say, well, it's a good thing you're young. You can have more kids. It's yeah, like, well, our first kids are disposable. <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> oh, my God. Never even thought about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, like, burying my children today. Uh, so Jim, uh, the funeral director, he has a cabin in Colorado. And he said, I'm, he offered it to us. He said, you guys mm -hmm. can come out there and stay. Stay as long as you want. And for us, we, you know, we, we eventually decided that we would do that uh, because for us, the world had stopped. But one of the things that was really difficult was everybody else's lives continued. Right. I think it was the next morning. Yeah. We were out on our patio and we were looking at cardinals. So it was sweet. We had some cardinals right there. But I looked at all the cars going to work and it, that's when it kind of hit in my yeah. heart. I'm like... What the hell are they going to work for? Don't we all just stop? Don't we yeah. just like stop the world when there's a devastating death in people's lives? And that, that hurt my heart terribly. Yeah. I was like, our world stopped. So Yeah, and unfortunately for us, this happened uh, basically in Madison, which is a large town. And the drunk driver was from a very well-known family. And so there was a bunch of media attention that started. Um, there were people taking pictures and video at the accident scene. Um, you know, this whole process now began and this continued for weeks for us. We were on TV. We were on pictures of us were on TV. Well, we chose not to be on TV. They really wanted us to right. have an interview with them. And we we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, why the radio yeah. talk shows um, the newspapers so this whole media attention started and we're we like to be private people but we, we used to be private we people, to be private <laughs> Hello. people. but we've come to understand we're supposed to do this so but this whole media attention was starting there was you know stuff be beginning with the police and everything that was going to take place with with um, David Ramish for trials and sentencing, all of this mm -hmm. was starting and we're just like, we got to get out of here. So yeah. as we were, you know, in the process of putting things together so that we could leave, mm -hmm. um, one morning we woke up and Beth says, I had a dream, which I get dreams a lot. Yeah. And, and I, you I said, said, I had a dream too. And I'm like, you never remember your dreams, you know? So we shared our dream. Mm -hmm. And it was, you have to get the chemical out of the body. So I have to go back right after the accident. Of course, I'm a woman. I was 34 at the time. Um, a week later, of course, I had my cycle. So um, after my cycle, I took the birth control pills and I was like, oh, what are we trying to control this world for? Yeah. We know there is no control. So we're trying to micromanage children and birth. And so you said, we should still take the pill just so that we can heal. And I'm like, I am never going to heal from this. That's just right. what I thought. And so I, I took probably for four days yeah. to up to a week. I can't, be, I'm not ex exactly sure. So when we got this dream, 
We both had the same dream. We both had the same dream. One, that I remembered it was unusual, yeah. but two, it was identical. The dream well, was identical. The word chemical. Right. The chemical out of your body. And so birth control pills were thrown in the trash. <laughs> right. That was the beginning of um, August. So yeah. then we jumped in the truck and... We went out to Colorado, to Colorado. and stayed there and... By the end of August, I'm driving. You were sick. You were. Really you sick. did get some type of flu sickness. But I'm end of August. I'm driving down in this big. We got an expedition, right? Yeah. After the accident, something big, so nobody could hurt us again. And I'm driving this huge expedition down the hill to get a pregnancy test. I was yeah. pregnant. Yep. Pregnant. And so, that was the start of a bunch of amazing things that happened with us. And so as we traveled out to Colorado, we stayed there for, I don't know, probably a month or so. Yep. And then we went from Colorado down to New Mexico because best parents were living in New Mexico. We would, as we had the opportunity, we would stop along the way for um, psychics or mediums. And mm -hmm. they would continue to give us these tidbits from the kids. The kids would always connect. They would always okay. talk to us. So it, it continued to reinforce for us that the kids aren't gone. You know, they're, they're not gone at all. They are just still there. And in fact, at one of these um, mediums that we were at, we ended up getting the title for the book, and, but we didn't know it. Correct. At the time, we had no idea. Right. She was doing automatic writing, mm -hmm. and she was channeling it from Joshua. And the last sentence in this automatic writing, which I capped, it's, you know, the whole thing for how many years, 15 mm -hmm. years when we did our book, yeah. was, we never left you. Yep. And when I found that, I was like, oh, that's our title of our book, you know. <laughs> and so um, we ended up coming back to Wisconsin and, you know, trying to put our life back together and dealing with all everything that was going on with the media and the, the trial and our families. And so we did what you're supposed to do and tried to find uh, help. We tried to find traditional counseling, mm -hmm. therapist. And so... It didn't go very well. I nope. think we went through five or six of them. And, um, it's like ripping and, a bandage off each time. Yeah, we only mm -hmm. saw each one once because, you know, one of them said to us, well, I can relate to your loss because I've had a divorce. And another one said, well, I'll help you get rid of the pain and the anger by screaming into a pillow. And unfortunately, every time we saw one, they, as soon as we started talking, they figured out who we were and they knew who we were from all of the media attention and we had to tell the story all over again so mm -hmm. it just was rehashing rehashing and rehashing and it just it wasn't working and, and so, we'd leave and i we'd be i'd be more tired yeah i didn't gain anything from it they didn't right. give me i mean screaming in a pillow is just ridiculous or hitting a pillow um but also then i was like the irony was like, oh my God, I just paid you like $250 right. and you didn't do anything. I just entertained you, but your curiosity. So that was bad. I, yeah. that we decided was not going to keep doing that because it was too exhausting. Right. And so it was during this time that I, I started to think about this whole idea of everything that happened at the accident <laughs> or on the accident site. And I was a little mad. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I said to Beth, I said, you know, I think this happened for a reason. 
I said, I'm still trying to beg God to give them back to me. I'm like, I was trying to manipulate. I don't know. You know, at the time you're just trying anything. And I'm thinking if I could go back in time, I could change this, mm-hmm. you know, I'm shock, but so I'm like, I'm trying not to let them go yet. Right. I will not do that. So I was getting mad at you. But as we started to look back at all of the coincidences and synchronicities around the accident, um, yeah, there was a number of things that the kids had said that took place prior to the accident happening within the weeks before that, that as we looked back on it, started to help us understand that they kind of subconsciously already knew they were going to be going. The day of the accident, as we were leaving, um, you know, Beth had a spot on her shirt. Mm-hmm. From moving. Yeah. And I looked down in the, in the minivan and I'm like, oh. And first of all, I didn't even want to go right. to the mall. I really wanted to just stay home and be with the kids and... And that I thought, when I hear in my head, well, I'm sure Rick just wants to get out of the house. You know, he's been with the kids all night weekend. And and then I'm in the car, I'm mm-hmm. seeing this spot on my shirt. And then I'm like, oh, I should go home and get a new shirt on, right? And I hear, no, it'll be fine. Nobody will notice it. I'm like, who was <laughs> doing that little talk in my head? I'm not sure. And so, you know, that was the first thing. And then as we pulled up to the accident, we pulled up to the stoplight, um, the squad car that, we had talked about earlier that came and turned through the intersection was responding to a domestic disturbance call. Well, the domestic disturbance was actually David Ramish, the drunk driver, because he had, his wife had told him that he wanted to, that she wanted to get a divorce. And so he was at his parents' house and he had given his parents his keys and bought a bunch of alcohol and just started drinking. To get drunk. To get drunk. To forget. To forget, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, at some point, he started to become um, aggressive. And I almost felt like his dad, we don't know, again, we don't I, know, we, yeah. speculation from what DA always said, um, but I thought it was the, the father thought he was, David was almost suicidal. Right. Something so, along those don't lines. don't know. So he called 911, and when David heard that, he um, panicked and grabbed his father's car keys and Crown ran, Vic. ran out and took off. And so that squad car was responding to that domestic disturbance call. So as that squad car came through the intersection and made the turn, David's car zoomed past him, and that squad car saw the whole accident in his rearview mirror. So he was able to call in immediately to start bringing, you know, uh, emergency response assets to the scene. Did you mention David was traveling 80 miles an hour? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay. And and they became airborne. Yeah. Um, and so. There, the person that was holding my neck in the car was an off-duty police officer that just happened to be walking by the intersection when the accident happened, and he was able to jump in and begin to help. We talked about the husband and wife doctor that were in the intersection, you know, in, in, a, in a car waiting for the light to change, and they saw the accident happen. So they were able to respond immediately. We had two doctors immediately on site. They had ambulances en route to some other place, which they diverted to us. Flight for Life was in the air. They diverted it to us. Um, And Mm -hmm. so as we started to talk about this and look back on it, we began to realize how much everything had to take place. The fact also that as the rest of the cars pulled forward when the light changed, I paused for a second or two before I went forward. So the timing of all of this had to be exact. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we just kind of began to put all these pieces together and all of these things had to line up in order for that accident to take place the way that it did. Down to one split second. Literally. Literally. Yep. You know, the accident reconstruction accident reconstructionist said that we should have all died. Right. Being hit at 80 miles an hour. But I know to this day, I still can feel the wings around me, the angel wings around me, because I had one little scratch on my leg. Yep. You know, that was it. So. so I was starting to think that way. I was beginning to have these conversations with Beth. She was threatening to hit me with a baseball bat every time I brought it really up. So. <laughs> but anyways, we um, were having difficulties trying to find any type of traditional counseling. And a friend of ours suggested, well, Actually, she was a therapist. Of she ours. was a therapist as well, and, mm -hmm. and we had that actually was working because she was a little more spiritual. A little bit, um, but she suggested that uh, we go to this weekend seminar because she had just started learning how to incorporate shamanic energy healing techniques into her practice, and there was a weekend seminar that was kind of an exposure to some of this shamanic stuff. And she mm -hmm. says, "You guys should go." She said, "You, I think it would help you." And we're like, "Well." Why not? Nothing else is working. Yeah. So we went out to Utah for um, this weekend seminar, and it was a medicine wheel course class, and this was the first direction of the medicine wheel. And the premise of it was basically you were going to be working with each other on doing healing, utilizing shamanic techniques, and the instructor would you know demonstrate the techniques, and then you'd go and work with other people. And so before we you know, after a little bit of introductions and things in the class during one of the breaks, I walked up to the instructor and I explained to him, you know, what our situation was. And he said, well, how long ago was that? And this was now November. And I says, well, it was just in July. And he's like, okay. He said, you guys aren't going to work together. He said, I will work with Beth and my assistant will work with you. And then he wanted to use, asked if it would be okay if he could use Beth to demonstrate um, the, the first technique. And so he did. He used Beth to demonstrate, and you could tell that, you know, Beth, there was some shaking going on, some trembling, and... Um, he was releasing some of the energies yep. and the dense energies, and yes, we were hit at 80 miles an hour, so of course I'm going to shake as right. possibly as that energy leaves my body. Mm -hmm. And so when he was done, he mentioned to us, he said, I'd like to talk to the two of you when class is done. And so we're like, okay. And so when the weekend was over, we you know met with him, and we were talking for a little bit, and he said, I want you to know that your kids came to me during the healing I was doing with Beth. He said, but they didn't present themselves to me as kids. They were very old, very powerful spirits. They were seven or eight foot tall, but they are very strong. And he said to me, he said, you were knocked unconscious during the accident. And I said, yes. I said, but we hadn't told him anything about the accident. And he said, well, the reason why you were unconscious is because you had to help the kids cross over. He said, you've been a shaman in many lifetimes before, and you knew that journey beyond death to help them cross over. And you had to help them make that journey. Uh, and he said, you need to become a shaman again. The kids told me that you need to start being a shaman again. You have to learn how, and you, that's what you need to do in this lifetime. And so he... Um, was going to be having this small expedition down to Peru over the turn of the century. For those of you that can remember, it was 1999. It was going to become the year 2000. There was this big deal about Y2K and, you know, with the, the world, world was going to end. end. <laughs> <laughs> computers were going to stop and 
for us, we didn't really care. We're like, okay, yay. We just thought, well, what better place to be than in a third world country, you know, if the world's going to end because they don't really um, deal with computers anyways that much. And so we decided to go with. Well, we just decided too because of the families, you yeah. know, it was just getting a little more difficult. And um, also Ramish, every time he could, yeah. he was getting his sentencing pushed back. Yeah. His attorney was letting him, trying to keep it so he could be home for Christmas right. to be with his kids. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's really wonderful. Yeah. A little sarcasm there. But um, yeah, so we so, decided let's go. Let's go. So we went down. Wait, to... we should tell though that when we were telling our friends that we were going to become a shaman and you were going to become Ooh, a shaman, we yeah. both were. We were told, uh, our friends said, he's a charlatan. Yeah, he, he's just going to there to take all your money. <laughs> we basically said, well, if he can help us, I don't care. Right. Take all yeah. my money if you can help me. Right. Right. So we uh, went with him. We went down to Peru for, you know, over just after Christmas, and we were down there for the New Year's, and a little while later, after that, we were in Peru and Chile. We went to a bunch of mm -hmm. um, uh, um, ceremonial cer sites. I'm sites. sorry, that's what I'm looking for. Sorry, uh, we went to a bunch of um, ancient ruins, um, Machu Picchu, Peruvian and Quechua. Mm -hmm. and we went to Machu Picchu. We went to the Nazca Lines, a number of other places. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. we also did ceremony at some of these places. And so there's a couple of stories that we're going to relate that took place down there that had some significance for us. The first one that took place was we were, we did a ceremony uh, out in the desert at night on the Nazca Lines and. The Nazca lines are these large drawings that have been carved into the desert floor that have been there for hundreds and thousands of years. And nobody really knows how or why they got there or what they were used for because they're huge. Some of them you can't even make sense of unless you see them from the air. And one of them was a uh, spiral. This spiral um, was a, like a double spiral. It curved in on itself. And when it got to the center, it turned and then curved back out, made its way back out. And the concept behind the ceremony was that as you walked in, you were leaving behind your past. You were leaving behind all of those energies and emotions that, that were holding you back, holding you down. And once you got to the center, you turned and began to walk out and step into your destiny. And so we were doing this in the middle of the night uh, out in the desert. And when I walked into the circle, I had blonde hair. And when I came out, I had white hair. And so they were kind of making fun of me a little bit. Well, and the moon was out. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we were like, what happened to your hair? You're like glowing a little bit. You know, the moon was reflecting off your <laughs> And so my hair changed colors during the course of that ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, one of the homework assignments that Beth had gotten from the person we were working with, Alberto, in November, in mm -hmm. November was to find beauty again like you're crazy <laughs> yeah. you're crazy and so um one of the places that we were went to was a nature reserve and it was some islands that were out in the ocean and you couldn't set foot on the islands but you could see them from boat and so we were a couple of boats we were out there and it was a bright blue sunny day and the waves were crash you know crashing against the rocks there was you know birds there was sea penguins, lions, penguins seals Babies, there were yeah. baby little seals, and yeah. yeah. 
And so, you know, we're in the boat watching all this, and all of a sudden I hear Beth say, That's it's so crazy. beautiful. <laughs> I was like, And I looked at her. <laughs> like, son of a gun. He's right. Yeah, it yeah. was really beautiful. I it mean, was... I do also, the sunshine, the yeah. the water, everything, it was breathtaking. And yeah. and yeah, I did find beauty. Yep, yep. And so we were there for the turn of the century. We were there for New Year's. And we there was a New Year's Eve party. One of the places we were staying at for that was a hotel. And so, you know, everybody was celebrating and happy and, you know, having a, a joyous time because not many people are around and get the chance to be there for the turn of the century mm -hmm. but we just we were only there for a little while and then we left yeah it felt wrong everybody yeah. was so happy and celebrating and we we're like oh. yeah so yeah we didn't fit in the room so no, we not went at back all. to our so we left and hotel room went back to our hotel room and we just we were just crying we were broken and it just it was a pretty low point for us at the right. end but um we came back, you know, after we were down there for, I don't know, two weeks or something like that, mm -hmm. and came back and we had to deal with the sentencing for, for David, and that was a really big deal. Um, yeah, I was pregnant, so, yeah. you know, now this is January. They were able to keep David out till the end of January, yep. um, and I was, well, six, seven months pregnant, so right. I hid it. I was like, I am not letting this, yeah. his attorney try to use it, saying, oh, look at, they can replace children. Um, so I wore big bulky sweaters and everything, and I felt, yeah. And during the sentencing, um, his attorney said um, that part, they wanted no jail time. Right. And we were like, he, they could, he could have 40 years per child, so we were at 80, okay? Because we knew somewhere it was gonna, it was not gonna be eighty. But um, I remember them saying, the attorney said for David mm -hmm. that, well, the best thing for him would be to go to AA meetings and talk about what he did and what he possibly, you know, to prevent other people from doing it, and go to your children's graves on their birthday and on the anniversary of their death. And I'm like, whoa! <laughs> I, I had to tell my our attorney just um, to, to get me back on on the to speak mm -hmm. I, there was really no podiums but um to speak because i'm like no we don't want any of this we don't want him near this is our it, we don't want him at our children's right. gravesite and also he'd be better wearing orange in mm -hmm. jail and not just at an aa meeting yeah. so we really had to put our little two cents in there and i'm glad we did yeah he received um 20 years, 20 years. And in but he's prison. in prison, and he yeah. received um, he's forty years for parole. parole. Yeah, and he was ordered not to speak about us yep. or talk about us. I didn't want him like having, you know, writing a book or something about his journey. And, yeah, or contact know, us. Or contact us, correct? Right. Yeah. And so, um, he ended up serving thirteen and a half years, and then was out on parole. But his, you know, he's still under parole right now. But mm -hmm. we'll talk about all that later. And so, one of the things we had talked earlier about was this idea that we thought the accident happened for a reason. And as we, you know, talked back and forth about it, one of the things we realized was that at the accident, I was unconscious so that I could help the kids cross over, but. Beth, being the mother, had to be conscious. She had to be there to see 
that anything and everything that could have been needed or that she wanted was made available to her at the accident. She had to be able to see that the kids were taken care of to the best that they could. And there wasn't anything that you didn't need or want that wasn't there at the accident. Correct. Because I think that would have haunted me for right. the rest of my life if I was unconscious because I would have thought somebody's keeping something from me. Right. If my kids were calling for me, that type of thing. So yes, I'm very blessed that I you know, was not knocked unconscious and I was able to take care of some things. Not that I could take it and change it anything, um, but I, I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. um, but yet, you know, and, I, and that, as you can see, it still is right there. Mm -hmm. I can still, I could paint you a picture, but I've always been very blessed. I've never had any nightmares about it. Yeah. Um, and also it is there. It's there from my knowledge, right. but yet I, I've never, I've been truly grateful that it hasn't haunted me. Right. Uh -huh. But it began to reinforce this point for us that this accident was meant to happen. It was supposed to happen. And, you know, because Beth was able to see anything and everything was there and available, it eventually helped her to mm -hmm. begin to understand that. I as truly, well. once I started talking to God, it was probably a good um, four years of not, mm -hmm. I was so mad at God. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to not talk to him. And, and again, I was raised Catholic. Um, mm -hmm. Rick was more Lutheran and I call him God. But, um, and so I was like, I'm not talking to God and just I'll show him. So we decided that we were going to continue with the shamanic um, training because one of the things we found when we were with this group of people that were down there is they were speaking this language mm -hmm. that we wanted to learn. They were speaking this language about spirituality, about this aspect of life after death, about all of these things that were helping us to try and get connect with our kids. And so we decided we were going to continue it. So the next uh, session was... Uh, in February, and it was out in California on some sacred Indian ground, a kind of a reserve that they allowed people to come out on, and there were some cabins out there. And so this was a little different than the first weekend because now you were learning all about the healing techniques as well and learning the energetic healing techniques and learning how to help people heal. And, and so, sense energies. And, well, that's all part of it, yeah. And so late one night... Um, Beth and I were practicing sensing energies on somebody that was lying on the ground. And Alberto was in there. He's the teacher. And his assistant was there and a couple of other people. And I'm sensing this energy. And all of a sudden, I feel this rush of energy come in towards me, come into me. And I just pull my hands back. And then I just was out of it. Out of it. Yep. So the Rick and I, actually in the room, we were kneeling on the ground just like this. I was to your left and then uh, the person was on the ground we were sensing energies over him i'm like sensing nothing right but i'm 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 trying to pretend and i'm doing it and his a helper was across from us but on that the wall behind us was a window so as i looked up i see this bolt of lightning outside and i was like my thoughts were oh it's gonna be a thunderstorm you know mm -hmm. Now, then the next thought was, wait a minute, we're in California. It's a drought. It's not raining. Well, then that bolt of lightning was then in the building. Mm -hmm. And so they had this 80s track lighting, which was ugly. Um, and one just started flashing. And I mean, I'm kind of watching it. I see Rick go like this and up and down. 
And then I hear him breathing. He's just breathing very heavily. And I'm kind of like, what? you know, it's it was like slow motion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was it was interesting watching it. And I never was nervous. But I watched the lights. And then all of a sudden, another one started flickering. And another one. And then I have the helper. Um, she's like, Alberto, Alberto, get over here. Rick needs, you know, Rick needs you. And so then now Alberto is kneeling by you and saying, Rick, you have to stand up. You have to move that energy. The spirit of lightning wanted you. He's, it's in you. It's, that spirit is in you. You need to move. Otherwise, you will become paralyzed um, if, that, if you just sit like that. And um, so at, it must have took you about five minutes to eventually stand up. And Rick is a Taekwondo, a sports degree in Taekwondo. And Alberto said, start doing your basic forms. Yep. And now the track lighting is just going, it's like a strobe light. It's disco. Do, 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 do. Now, this is 1990. Now, this is the year 2000. So, we had flip phones. There was no running to get my phone and, you know, recording the whole thing. And, um, but it was really quite amazing. So you got up and you mm -hmm. started doing your forms. Yeah. And I, I was sensing energies. And then the next thing I know is Alberto's telling me, you got to get up. You got to move. You got to move, get that energy out of you. I got up and started to do some of those basic forms and I could just feel every time I moved these waves of energy coming off of me and I did that for a while and then Alberto said we'll just go outside and you know try and ground some of the energy and so I did and I could just kind of feel the energy moving through me and into the ground and um, that went on I have no idea of the concept of time for all of this and he came back in and he said, well, do you have any idea what happened? I said, no, I have no idea. He said, well, he said, why don't you guys go and get some sleep and we'll talk about it in the morning. We had a cabin to ourselves. We went back to the cabin and it was, you know, February and California it was a little chilly. And so, you know, we got in there and I'm well, just. No, we tried, we tried to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm like facing you. Now I got a nice big belly here and I'm like, oh my gosh, the energy coming off of you is making me nauseous. You know, I'm like, so I flipped over mm -hmm. and then you couldn't oh stop goodness. moving. I'm like, get out of bed. Go. I said, I need to sleep. So he starts to build a fire. <laughs> and I wake up again and it's this roaring fire. I'm like, oh my God, it's so hot in here. Like, will you just get out of this building? So I, got kicked, I out. kicked him out. So, I'm a pregnant lady. I needed yeah, to sleep. Yep. There are priorities. Mm -hmm. So I went outside and I was, you know, just outside for a while. And I could, it was really a surreal experience because it was like I could feel and see and hear all the energies that were around me. I could sense the animals, the trees and, you know, the stones and everything that was going on. And I was out, I have no idea how long I was outside. I came back in and I don't, I don't think I slept much that night. Mm -hmm. And so we went and talked to Alberto the next day, and he said, well, he said, that was the spirit of lightning. He said, you were hit by the spirit of lightning. It moved through you. He said, in the shamanic cosmology that he works in, there's three traditional ways that shamans are, or people are called to be shamans. One of them is to heal yourself from some type of a, you know, severe or terminal illness. The second one is to, you know, basically have your life turned upside down and, and have it turned on Which a Which we already did. Which you already did. And the third one is to be struck by lightning. He said, if when I work with the shamans, you know, in Peru, he said, if there's people, if, if we're walking with people and the shamans are there and somebody gets hit by lightning, they immediately take him on as an apprentice because that is a traditional way to get called. 
He said, you, they wanted you. That spirit of lightning came into you and hit mm -hmm. you. And so evidently I'm not that bright because two days later the same thing happened again. And so we kind of joke about it that, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've gotten two out of the three signs. I'm not waiting around for the third. So right. I knew I had to be a shaman. And that basically rewired me. Um, it changed me. There's things that I used to be allergic to that I'm no longer allergic to. There's things that um, my, my, that I'm allergic to now that I weren't before. Um, my ability to see and sense energies has just taken off exponentially. And so it continued to, to show us that this accident happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. We continued with the training and we continued to try and move ahead with our lives. Well, the next thing that really took place was uh, our child. Our birth of our baby. Right. So, yeah, we had a wonderful doctor. She was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So I had seen her on the, I think it was the Friday. And she's like, well, I'm not working this weekend if you have this baby. Um, but I did go into labor. Yep. And so it happened to be Mother's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So there we are Friday evening at the hospital having a baby. Yep. And now our doctor, Carla, was not going to be working. But all of a sudden she shows up. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I am putting a baby in your arms. I am going to make sure that baby is okay. Right. So... Because it was very busy that night in the hospital. There was a bunch of babies mm -hmm. being born. And so, but she, because she wasn't on call, she just stayed with us. She just watched my monitor. Yep. And yep. she's watching and watching. And the, and the pregnancy was, uh, delivery was progressing. And all of a sudden it stopped. Yep. And it's just stopped and it, nothing's progressing. Nothing's progressing. Yeah, I even had an epidural to help yep. relax me to see if the baby just needed, you know, just more of relaxation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or and for so me, I guess. It kept going on and on. And it was getting into the early hours of morning and all of a sudden she says okay that's it she says we're going for an emergency c-section and she could not get the, mm -hmm. the people in the hospital to move fast enough to get us in the emergency room and so we went in there we had an emergency c-section and um, found out that the reason why the delivery had stopped was that the umbilical cord was wrapped around Gabe's neck and if it would have continued through a normal birthing process he would have died he would have suffocated mm -hmm. and so could have i think right she said he oh. would have so um glad i didn't know that yeah and so he was born early saturday mm -hmm. morning and so beth was able to have a child in her arm for that mother's day and yep. so she didn't I... have to go for a mother's day without a child i was getting visitors yep on Mother's Day, and I had a baby in my arms. Yeah. So, you know, and I also have to say, we didn't talk about this, is that many times I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. You know, it was, it is the worst thing ever to lose a child. Mm -hmm. um, I don't wish this upon anybody. It is painful. And then we lost two children. So mm -hmm. many times I thought about possibly ending my life. But once I really thought about it, I was like, I'm pregnant with a baby. I am not going to take my own life because I would you know, murder a child. Right. So I have to say, to this day, Gabriel saved us, mm -hmm. saved me. Mm -hmm. yep. See, get that chemical out of your body. <laughs> that was really important, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, most definitely. And so we started our life from there. We started mm -hmm. moving forward. We ended up having two more kids. We had three kids, three amazing kids. Well, let's kids. Tell, talk about that a little bit. Um, we ended up leaving and moving from 
Madison yeah. area. We mm -hmm. built our our home, our dream home. Rick was like, he said to me, uh, your dreams died that day. I'm going to build you your dream home. And it is. It's clearly, we cocooned here. Mm -hmm. We even put the front of the house like to our property. We have 40 <laughs> acres facing our property, not the street, because we were cocooning. Right. And um, we even had, like you said, two more children. But mm -hmm. with our Gracie, and that was all kind of funny too. Go Just ahead. I'll give a quick little story about that. Was now I had we had Gabriel, and then 16 months later, I was um, we had Benjamin. Mm -hmm. So I got pregnant pretty quickly there. Um, and so here I'm raising two boys with Rick, of course. Well, it's almost like raising three boys. Yeah. And I was like overwhelmed plus mourning i mean still i would only cry i would try to just cry at night and just yep. deal with some emotions at night because we never wanted to give our baggage to our children right. we just always wanted to try to be the the happiness with them so um so i had lunch with some friends in october and i mentioned to them i'm like oh my gosh i am not i have no energy to have another baby for a while right so um that was that and then i had a dream and i wake up and i'm like Oh my gosh, Rick, we're not supposed to stop or wait. We are to have this child now. I mean, so that was the beginning part of November. Mm -hmm. And so and by the end of November, I'm now pregnant. Mm -hmm. Got pregnant again. So, and that was such a blessing. So then through my dreams, I was like always talking with Rick about him. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope it's a baby girl. And one night I had a dream where it was just this beautiful white screen. And from the upper right in my dream, I was handed a baby and I was like, oh, I have my baby girl. And I woke up and I'm like, it's a girl. It's a girl, you know. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, where did it, you know, who did I get it from? I'm like, of course, it was from spirit, from God, you know, from the mm -hmm. upper one of my dream, my dream. And it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And we had Grace. So we now have Gabriel, Benjamin, and Grace. Yep. After we were blessed with having another child, so then we had Grace. And we just really got into being parents again mm -hmm. and focused on that. Uh, Rick was, you know, working energetically with people, still doing healings on people on the side. But our main focus was raising these three amazing little babies. And that's enjoying life, yeah. actually, you know, still dealing with a lot of the sadness of our kids being gone and killed. But there was a lot of happiness, too. And it really got, got us moving and living again. Yep. You know, the, the three kids really did save us. Mm -hmm. So um, with that, it was just really nice. And again, we kept our, didn't want to give them our baggage. Right. We just, if I had a bad day, you know, I'd do it later at night. I'd talk to Rick about it because they were so little. So now let's fast forward. Then 15 years after the accident, I wake up from a dream again and I say to Rick, it's time to write the book. And, and so many times our mornings have started with my dreams mm -hmm. and he's learned to listen to them. So that put us on a journey to find somebody to help us write it because we're not writers, nor did we want to digest it and put it on paper um it was hard enough so um and we'll do another video on that process of how we found a ghostwriter and what took us um, and how that all worked yep so that was 15 years um after the children died and it's an amazing book so i would definitely recommend it um and so now again fast forward let's go to this year yep we're now 23 years 
later. Um, our kids are all in college. Our baby just went to her first year of college and we are trying to help people more and more. And yeah. we're, um, we do workshops and different things like that. But what was really neat about this year is all of a sudden on December 3rd, we received a letter from the parole officers, um, actually from Dane County. And it was about David's parole and that I should make a phone call to find out what is changing. So I called you. I mean, I was at the end of the driveway and I'm reading this and I and I said, you know, I got a letter from Dane County about David's parole. And you were like, well, what does this mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know. And um, I said, we'll talk about it when I get home. But as I got home, I brought it into my office and I was like, you know, this isn't causing me any turmoil. This is not causing me to sometimes in the past I would rip them up. Um, our kids are considered murdered. So. Anytime something changes in the parole, then um, we would get notification. Mm -hmm. So um, as I was thinking about and reading the letter, I was like, you know, I had heard that David became a pastor, a minister in prison. And so I'm trying to figure out why something might be changing. So I Googled the dude, you know, here we are. Finally, we have all these computer, <laughs> the internet, never, never Googled the guy. So I did find out, yes, he was a minister in Iowa and it said five years and 11 months to present. And I'm like, okay, this is strange that it says to present. So yeah. what is changing? Um, so then I start thinking about soul contracts and, spirit contracts because you and i totally believe like this was meant to be we came down here this was our journey our kids also this was they were part of it jessica yep. and joshua soul journey soul contract so then i was like whoa oh my goodness do you think david i'm thinking to myself do is david part of the soul contract i'm sure you probably knew this years ago <laughs> but i was like i never give him any thought you know and um and so i was like oh you know, light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, he chose to be the bad person in this lifetime yeah. to send Jess and Josh home so they'd go to prison to become a minister to help more people. I was like, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> I was like, I called you in the office and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, Rick. And he's like, yeah. And so I said, I think we should forgive him. And you were like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's do it. Well, and I thought my whole thought about forgiveness on that was if he's helping others and he can get rid of that dense energy for, that he must be carrying for all those years for harming our beautiful children and killing them and hurting us, think about what a release that could be for him. And uh, so anyways, we decided to call him. Yeah. You know, and so again, I will say we called parole officers. We didn't want to break any of the rules. Um, got the wrong parole officer. On a Monday, he said, well, I'll email the correct one and they'll get back to you. Friday, <laughs> nobody called. So again, I called the parole officer and I did get the right one. I don't remember now if that was the next week, Monday or Friday, but um, I did get the right one. And he was like, well, I will have to email David's parole officer mm -hmm. and see if this is something we can do. I'm like, okay, get back to me. Two weeks, people, two weeks and no word. I should say through the whole process. The whole process was two weeks. Well, yeah, I'm, I don't know. Did you mention he's in Iowa? He's not in Wisconsin. So that's why there's oh. that. I don't know if you did. So. I don't know. Yeah, I did say he was okay. a minister in Iowa. Okay. Yeah, I did. And um, so I'm like, I'm not going to wait. 
I want to do this. I want to do this in December. I don't know what was nudging me to do it right away. But I always go with my nudges, my dreams and things like this. So we Google David again and we got mm -hmm. his phone number and we called him. Called him. And the first time he, it's, it said, if you want to talk to Pat, went to a message and it said, if you want to talk to Pastor David, here is his phone number. And so I, literally in my office, can't find paper, a pen. I'm like opening drawers. That was funny, I thought. But if you'd see my office, you'd probably understand. Um, and then, so we called him back and he picked up because he saw Beth Olson on his caller ID. So right away, he was really surprised. Yes. What do you think he thought? Well, he was surprised and he was just kind of very emotional. He was saying, well, I, I, I can't believe yeah, it. Struggling I, with I can't what to it. say. I was struggling to get words out. You could tell the emotions were there. And he's like, I never thought this was possible. Right. Yeah. And so we just, we said, well, David, this is Beth and Rick Olson. And, um, you know, we both have been on a journey and we thought it was time for us just to meet and talk. You know, and he was nervous and yeah. you could tell he was crying a little bit. And I, I cleared, I just wanted him to be, have a little peace, but we weren't going to forgive him on the phone. That's not mm -hmm. something you do on the phone. You no. do that in person. Right. So I said, David, just know we have no hatred in our hearts for you. So we decided to, um, we were going to text each other and yep. come up with a date and he was going to check with his parole officers to make sure, parole officer, to make sure there was no, um, he wasn't going to break any rules right? Uh, because he was ordered not to contact us. He was ordered not to talk with us. Mm -hmm. So, of course, let's not break rules. So, yeah, we started texting and we met on December. We decided to meet on December 29th. Mm -hmm. And in Iowa, we decided to go to his um, church, his office, uh, where he's a minister, so that he'd yeah. be more, just more secure, more, uh, maybe feel a little bit more comfortable yeah. so um and he did say just know i'm only like i was only like two hours from dane county right so clearly he had no idea we moved which mm -hmm. was now it's a three and a half hour drive so as we you know leave the house i'm like oh my gosh really we have to go three and a half hours <laughs> i'm like really couldn't we have just met at a mcdonald's or at a hardy's again or something and um so anyways we drove there and at, at noon we got there and yeah. we were meeting him and um his wife is he has a new wife of eight years and the parole officer so we, we went in and the tension in the room was a little high yeah it was you know and i think it's and i totally understand it nobody knew what was our intention right um, and so I know the wife was looking like, please don't hurt him. You know, I mean, he's an alcoholic. Um, he's doing so well. He's now helping people. And right. so anyways, um, we sat by the desk, mm -hmm. just like we're sitting here and David, we're across from David and then his wife to David's left and then the pro officer. Mm -hmm. And we talked for a good hour and, yeah. um, yeah, I kind of went and, I just wanted to lessen the tension in the room. So I was just like, blah, 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 blah. You know, we've had three more children. I'm telling them everything. I, again, don't know what I said. I think it was very elegant and very mm -hmm. done well. I'll yes. just know. I just know that. And I looked at you and I was like, oh my gosh, I should have maybe let somebody else speak. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like, David, do you want to say anything? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh interesting the comments he made because he said 
when he was in prison, he felt so helpless. And the reason why he felt so helpless was because he knew that he had, you know, destroyed Jess and Josh. He had killed them. He knew that he had destroyed his family, his, you know, his daughters and his family. And, but he didn't know what had happened to us. He had no idea if he had also destroyed us as well. And that continued to eat at him. That continued to be something that he dwelt over. And he was hoping that he hadn't destroyed us as well. And, you know, he mentioned to us that on uh, Sundays when he gives his sermon, he always allows a brief moment for prayers for somebody else or whoever you want. And he said, he, he always says, says the same prayer. He says, I, you know, ask, I pray for Jessica and Joshua. I pray for my daughters and I pray for Rick and Beth Olson. Mm -hmm. And so you could tell that it was really yeah. on his mind constantly. Just, you could see that. And as you know, we were talking and letting him know what we've done and where we're at mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the, the work that we do and more kids that we have, you could just see his whole energy in his body change because there was just this release that was taking place mm -hmm. because he no longer had to carry that that burden. doubt, that burden mm -hmm. of what he may have done to us. Correct. You know, and as we were talking and then he was even sharing, he just kept wiping his tears yeah. off of his face because mm -hmm. I think with the release of that dense energy, it was just also peace. Right. You know, and like, this can't be truly happening, right. right? And this is, yeah, so it was really, as you kept wiping tears away, the the wife's gaze and, you know, of concern mm -hmm. again yeah. for um, what was happening softened. Right. You know, and then you were like, ask the parole officer. Yeah, I, I said, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm just curious, why are you here? And he said, well, he said, in, he said, I've been a parole officer for you know, almost 19 years and... I have never had a request like this. He said, with a, you know, a crime of this magnitude, I've never had the victim's request to talk to the perpetrator. So I, I had to be here. I also had to be here because I wanted to make sure there wasn't any more harm that right. you know, took place with David. And he said, I've ne I never expected this to take place. He said, I, you know, he said, this is so beautiful. This right. is such a gift that you are giving to David. And, you know, he was thanking us as well, the parole officer. Yeah. It was pretty, it yeah. was pretty cool. It, it was, was really neat. So it was about an hour that we spoke yes. and we got up and again, we, um, you know, we hugged. <laughs> I, I didn't really know I was going to hug him, but it was fine. It, it felt mm -hmm. okay. And, um, as we went over to the, uh, to the, um, right side of the room, you know, after we hugged, David said, I have to show you my Bibles I wore out in prison. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd wear out one Bible, let alone two Bibles. Mm -hmm. And so there on a bookshelf in the upper top corner of the shelf, there was his two Bibles and a blue book on top of that, which is his AA book mm -hmm. and a chicken in the basket, a porcelain chicken in a basket. And I was like, why is there a chicken in the basket on the Bibles? And the wife was like, oh my gosh, she was really taken back. But because yeah. I, 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 I did go, <laughs> I was very surprised. And yeah. so um, she's like, well, we go thrifting. And I found it like a couple years ago and it was so cute. So I put it up there as a joke. And she said in about a year ago, I told him he could take it down. But David said he kind of liked it. A chicken in the basket. Yep. And so I was like, 
oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, I'm getting like, my hair is standing on my, uh, my arms right now. I'm getting goosebumps. But I said, I have to, we have to tell you another story. Yeah. I said, this is incredible. And so I started taking pictures. I literally only took two or three pictures of the chicken in the basket right. on the Bibles. I was like, okay, thank God we, this worked. But, um, then we shared with them mm -hmm. our story with Kathy Adams and our medium who originally said Jessica wanted the chicken in right. the basket. So I love how you share that about the chicken in the basket saved yeah. us. So, yeah, you look at, you know, what's sitting there and what the significance of it is. You've got his Bibles and his AA book and those items saved him. That's what kept him together and allowed him to move forward. And then the chicken in the basket is on top of that. And that's what saved us, allowed right. us to continue to move forward. And both of those things have become kind of symbols of who we are and what we're doing and, and what we're trying to do with our life and what it means. So mm -hmm. it was, to me, it was, it was very surprising and shocking, mm -hmm. but it's also very symbolic. And it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, we told them, yeah, like I said, Kathy's story or, chicken the basket from Kathy mm -hmm. and again we're all in tears they're like holy cow yeah. and I said you know this is what we've gotten from our children all along we've gotten these little little nuggets and we have followed them with yeah. our heart we'd get dreams we follow it we we'd get a sign we get cardinals you know it, whatever it was mm -hmm. you know and we just follow that right. for 23 years and we've trusted it right and so yeah so as we hugged one more time, mm -hmm. we said our goodbyes, we left and you and I went in the, our, my, our car and we sat there, <laughs> mouths open. And then I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I never expected anything no. amazing like that. No. Never. This truly, this forgiveness was for David. It was. It really was. It wasn't for us to have any like social media over this and say, oh, we forgave the murderer, whatever. That's, it wasn't that. That's why we why we wanted to do this. It was going to mm -hmm. be for David. We had no intention of, you know, doing a video like no. this where it talks about, you know, the impact it had and what we did and all of that. So, but the kids decided that we needed another mm -hmm. sign and... We and knew, keep going. Yeah, and we knew that that one had to be shared. Yeah, again, it's for the world. Right. You know, so it is. It's really amazing. Um, I'm still when we, I'm still in shock sometimes <laughs> from it. We got in the car, and when besides being shocked, we drove home. I was calling people to tell them about our second chicken in the basket. Right. So it was like, oh my gosh, how many years ago I was telling people my kid, you know, being in the car calling people till my kids died. Right. And I'm like, my kids, our kids are so much alive. Yeah. And they're still working on our behalf and helping us and helping the world mm -hmm. to know that there is life after death. Right. And it's so beautiful. It, it still makes me smile when I think of the gift. Yeah, and just to me, it continues to, you know, make me wonder how far in advance was all that planned out mm -hmm. you know i i have no idea i don't have those kind of answers but you know is that something that was planned out before we all came down that this so all that would be orchestrated and take place is that something that took place mm -hmm. after the kids passed and they knew that it was going to be a sign that we needed to you know pass on for people i don't know Right. Well, and as we, one thing that we forgot to say was as we left David's room, he said, I will let you, if you mm -hmm. want to get in contact with me, 
I'll let you, you contact me. I will right. not reach out to you. And I said, well, I am texting you a collection of my chicken in the baskets because <laughs> it has changed. So you've seen the original chicken in the basket where it's a little mm -hmm. basket and a little chicken. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not like those are American girls. So throughout the years, I started finding other chicken in the baskets. Yep. You know, the first one I bought was a concrete one that goes in the garden. And I didn't even realize what it was. And it was my girlfriend as it was sitting on the counter to per be purchased. She's like, oh, I like that chicken in the basket. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's chicken call me. Yep. And then I started finding all of these little porcelain chicken mm -hmm. in the baskets. And I have a problem. I have about 30 of them. So for the last 20 years, I have been collecting the same type of chicken in the baskets that was on David's Bibles. Right. So so the people, just so you know, that might be going, oh, that's not possible. Just know we never shared my collection. Nope. My picture on, on the Internet was never my collection of chickens in a basket. It right. was always on the book or... Yeah. In, on our website, just the, the original chicken in the yeah, basket. Just the original chicken uh, in the basket. Correct. So. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yes, it was. Yeah. So that's kind of our story up yeah. to this point. And that's, you know, there's there's a lot more that took place, a lot more synchronicities that, you know, signs from spirit and the kids and other things that happened to us along the way. And we'll make additional videos about that as we go. Yeah. But this is kind of the main story, the one that we share with people when we give talks. But we felt, you know, we have um, recorded parts of those before, parts of that story before in different videos. But we felt we needed to do the whole thing so that you could see and experience what we did and the highlights and where we're at and what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we hope that you enjoy this and. Um, we look forward to doing many more and thank you for watching don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a comment we do love to hear from you